How do you deal with a potential crop disaster a season after a historic windstorm? And can Twitter help you find answers when you have questions? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues from across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. The derecho that ripped across the Midwest last August brought plenty of damage to crops, buildings, and more as those high-speed winds pounded a 700-mile stretch across three states. And while the harvest was a challenge and the rebuilding has begun, trouble still looms. Volunteer corn. Tyler Harris, Wallace's farmer, is digging into the issue and shares some thoughts on tactics for what could be a significant challenge in 2021. Then we turn to Tracy Ullman. She's the go-to-market manager for Embedded Systems at John Deere. When Deere launched Autopath late in 2020, a Twitter post and questions in replies got our attention. So we turned to Tracy to get some answers about this new tool and how it works. We even learned how it helped one test farm after that derecho. First up, let's talk volunteer corn and the derecho with Tyler Harris. Tyler, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Hi, Willie. Good to be here. We're going to talk about a topic. It's kind of a a gift that keeps on giving kind of story. And I'm saying that in the worst possible way, frankly. Um, Last year's derecho in Iowa and Illinois was a big darn deal. Can we, but you've got something talking about 2021 related to that, but let's back up. What was the nature of what happened last year? Remind me. Well, you know, and this was something we saw from West Central Nebraska all the way through into Illinois, as you know, um, we, we had, I saw anywhere from 70 to 140 mile an hour winds, um, just, just a whole strip through the, uh, through the Midwest there. And the result was, and I've seen different numbers on this too, but uh, one that I've heard is from the USDA estimate is that 14 million acres in Iowa were affected by this. And you think about Iowa, you know, there's about 25 million acres in Iowa. That's, that's 50% (laughs) or more than 50%. So that's a pretty substantial number. And I realize every field is going to be affected differently, but there were a lot of fields in central Iowa and I'm told in Eastern Iowa where there were whole fields that were flattened and you don't have to look too hard to find pictures of it. So uh, the the thing that I, cause it's kind of a numbers game and this, this relates to the volunteer corn issue because the thing you have to think about is there are anywhere from 70,000 to 90,000 kernels per bushel uh, of corn. So mm-hmm. we're look, if we're looking at, you know, some of the high yielding areas of north central Iowa where uh, we're, you know, we're used to 200 bushel corn, we're looking at about 14 million seeds per acre. So, and, you know, with just 1% germination, we're, we're talking about 140,000 plants per acre. So considering that, you know, that's more like a soybean planting population in Iowa, uh, you know, it, it it's far more than what we're used to with corn at around 35,000. That alone is is alarming. But the numbers that I have, and, and there are different studies on this, but the numbers that I have from Iowa State would indicate that with 5,000 to 13,000 plants per acre, you can lose up to... 54% yield in soybeans and 13% in corn. And that's just, yeah, and, that, and that's just with 5,000 uh, 5, to 13,000 plants. But if there's just 1% germination, 140,000 plants per acre, I don't have the information on what the yield loss would be, but I mean, I would imagine that would be substantial. And I know, 
you can easily find pictures of fields where from last fall where it, they were just dominated by volunteer corn. Um, well, and you have to keep in mind too that you know it, we're not. The, the, I think those numbers. I, I I believe those numbers may have come from you know fields where you know a trial location or a, you know mm -hmm. a study. And, and if you have clumps of corn, that's going to be a lot more competitive than you know an individual plant. So. Well, you know the rules. You know the rules, Tyler. Yeah. Any any plant of corn that isn't in the ground that I put there is a weed. Yeah. Um, and even a corn plant that emerges too late is a weed. So if you start looking at that mix, we're looking at a significant challenge for 2021. And those numbers you just read kind of scared me. So what am I supposed to do? Well, um, and I want to point out that that's a hypothetical field because that doesn't, you know, that doesn't take into account, you know, how well the field was harvested in fall. We're looking at, you know, going into early spring here. So I've, you know, early, an early burn down. I've heard talk about shallow uh, spring tillage, but I just, I, I'll, I'll put a little footnote on that and come back to it later. Um, obviously, when you're doing talking about an early burn down, the big one that a lot of people talk about is paraquat, yeah. uh, some kind of non-selective herbicide. I have read too, um, and I haven't, you know, verified this with multiple source, multiple sources, but adding a group five herbicide can kind of can help increase um, control with uh, paraquat. So that might be an option as well. The nice thing about paraquat is it shows very low resistance. Yeah, um, and you're not bringing in a herbicide that you need in 2022, 2021, excuse me, that that you need, like a Roundup or a glufosinate or whatever exactly. you need. So I think that's real important to keep in mind too. This is a different mode of action, and it it has got low resistance, I think, in the field. Yeah, and that's obviously a big issue. I mean, when we're looking at you know the, the growing season of 2021 obviously we're looking at a lot of people in those areas that are going to be rotating to soybeans because it's easier to kill a grass in a broadleaf field than kill a grass in a grass field i mean just look at just ask the people in the sorghum belt dealing with shatter cane that's a nightmare right. so obviously the big thing is a you know a robust pre-emergence herbicide uh, that will provide extended control for a lot of growers, obviously, we're going to be looking at a group one herbicide, a grass killer. Clethodim is uh, the big one that I hear a lot about. And when we're talking about the application window, you know, pre-emergence, it's recommended to apply, I think, when volunteer corn is 12 inches or less. And and the other thing that you need to watch for is any, antag any antagonisms that may occur. I mean, if you mix a group one like a clethodim at a low rate with dicamba, um, I've been told that you can reduce the overall effectiveness of the clethodim from around 95% all the way down to 70 or 75. So, but then if you use it as a, at a high rate with dicamba, with dicamba, then you'll still get the effectiveness. So, um, I don't have a whole lot of information on adjuvants. Um, I, I have read that in some studies they that adjuvants really didn't help much here. Um, that mm. might be something that people want to research a little for themselves yeah i think that you would want to talk to your dealer and research this because there are some spreader sticker adjuvants that might make a difference but you're right it's something that you really need to research with your dealer and i think a lot of farmers will be this winter i mean for yeah. sure what about that shallow pass tillage you want to go back to so that's something i i i think that especially the you know people that are going to insist on staying corn on corn this year yeah i'm sure that's something that i mean i don't know how many options there are going to be um there are, I, I won't name products, but I know there are a few options for um, volunteer corn control if you are in corn. Mm -hmm. um, 
but but those are limited, obviously, compared to soybeans. Right, right. But for those that are corn on corn, they're going to be looking at uh, some field cultivation. And, you know, while that might work if you have some emerged volunteer corn, I think it's 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 important to note that I mean, you're, you're going to essentially you're at risk of planting that seed and having another flush come on later. One of the, one of the farmers I interviewed actually said that, you know, this when we're talking about this volume of volunteer corn, it's we're not I mean, we, we, we've just got to put it in the budget that we're going to have to make another herbicide application because we're going to get another flush. It's not just going to be one and done, you know, even if we're talking about soybeans. So I, I got to think that 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 you know field cultivation is probably something that uh, people that are corn on corn are going to be looking at but then they're going to want to be prepared for that second flush too mm -hmm. um i i you know in talking with field agronomists with isu extension they had recommended to do that a little bit later than the season so that the volunteer corn um get some growth to it so, so that you can i mean come back and hit that with a herbicide and and you'll you know you make sure that you kill it with a with the tillage pass and you don't have to worry about it out competing the corn so much so uh, another thing i wanted to really point out that yeah. you know there's because we're talking about volunteer corn you've got to be mindful of what what uh, traits the corn you planted last year was oh, yeah. um and, and keep in mind that for your control for this year I know growers, you know, on, on an annual basis, growers are used to dealing with volunteer corn. Mm -hmm. But this is something that's different because, I mean, we're just not used to the sheer volume. I can remember a few years back in Nebraska, we had an issue with uh, weak ear shanks and we had some high winds come through and we had a lot more volunteer corn than normal. This is going to be a situation where, you know, usually you might be able to get away with using a half rate without having a lot of issues if you want to cut some costs. This year, that's not going to be the case. You're going to have to use the full rate. Yeah, we're not recommending half rates anymore because of a lot of reasons. But, yeah, that would be a uh, a very big issue. And it's like and, and even for the farmer that doesn't have this volume of volunteer corn, thinking about your volunteer corn control program now, no matter where you are in the country, um, makes sense given the economics. Um, corn has gone up in price. And so if you're going to remain corn on corn, then you really need to give it your dealer now and say, look, I'm decided to stay with corn because corn's five bucks and I want to make, I can make more money at 200 bushel corn at five bucks than I can at 60 bushel beans at 13. A person may say that, well, then if they're going to have any volunteer corn issues from the previous year, they need to have their plan in place. But now when you talk about Iowa, Illinois, and Eastern Nebraska, you have to have a bigger plan in place. Yeah. Well, and honestly, that's something they should have begun months ago, um, talking with their dealer on. Because, oh, you know, yeah. there are traded options out there that you can apply a grass killer. I mean, they're, they're you know, they're limited, but, um, you know, there are traded options that you can apply a grass killer uh, on to control volunteer corn. So, I mean, that yeah. for those that are doing, you know, are doing or corn on corn, that would be an option. Right. You just mix the other trait, but the and there still may be that option. You're right. They should have been talking months ago. But I got to tell you that that disaster happened at the worst possible time. Yeah. Corn was at the corn was looking beautiful, standing tall, looking amazing in early August. And then that thing blew through. Um, I saw a lot of cobs on the ground at the uh, Farm Progress Show site in Boone. We didn't get hit as hard as some areas, but it was laid over in some places. So I can see what that damage could be like to a field. 
And yes, uh, with all the other things people have been dealing with, they may be behind the curve. But if you aren't behind the curve, good for you. And if you are behind the curve, look at what your trades were last year. Look at your traded options for 2021 if you decide to go corn on corn. Uh, I, I think the big thing, too, another thing to keep in mind is just everybody that I talked to mentioned that because of the sheer volume, this is uncharted territory. This oh, is something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're just not used to this sheer volume of volunteer corn. I mean, like I said, it's something that in some, you know, to some extent or another, we deal with it pretty regularly. But this is this is a whole nother level. And um, we're not entirely sure how it's going to turn out this year because we can talk about the ideal plan. But then I always say, you know, Mother Nature can always interfere and, and throw a wrench into your plans, too. So it's it's going to take some dynamic thinking, I think. Well, Tyler, it's been good talking to you going beyond the derecho into 2021 and what that means for controlling volunteer corn. Appreciate your insights. Uh, keep up the good work and stay safe. Thanks, Willie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Tyler for that insight on something a lot of farmers may have never seen. Just those early numbers on potential seed in those wind-damaged fields sends a shiver down my spine. Now we turn to a tech update. When new tools are introduced into a market, farmers have questions. We found a few on Twitter regarding the new AutoPath system John Deere launched for the 2021 season. Tracy Ullman from John Deere helps us answer those questions. Tracy, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Thanks for having me today, Willie. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation. You know, you're the go-to-market manager for embedded technology at John Deere, and you're relatively new to that position, not new to Deere. But we're talking today about... Um, Autopath. And the reason we're having this conversation is something I ran across on Twitter, and it sparked my mind a little bit from this standpoint. When we release a new product or we do a story about a new product in the Farm Progress publications, we only have five to 700 words to tell the story. And sometimes things get mashed together. And as I recall, Autopath came out with a couple of other significant deer releases. But Autopath has some unique features, and we got some questions from Twitter, farmers who are asking questions. And I guess I kind of want to dig in. You okay with that? I would love the opportunity to talk more about Autopath. Great. So is there, uh, you know, I got some comments about this company can do this and this company can do that, and they're already doing this. Is there confusion about what Autopath is versus what's already out there? I think there's an opportunity to dive into some more detail about what Autopath is to eliminate any kind of um, confusion that might be out there in the marketplace today because it is new and it is different than anything else that's currently offered. So, yeah, I think we have some opportunities to clear a little bit up. Okay. Well, I guess based on that, what what really is Autopath? Give me a quick definition and then we'll dig into some of the other questions. I mean, what is Autopath versus what anybody's ever used before? With getting, without getting into all of the technical specifics of how the system works, I think the easiest way to explain Autopath is that it's a tool that generates essentially a blueprint of your guidance plan for your harvest passes, your application passes. It generates a whole entire field blueprint of guidance lines. So that's different than what we can do with other systems, including our own, with AutoPath and Adaptive Curves and even RTK. Um, so AutoPath is unique in that regard of building out that entire field plan. Okay. And I guess that question did come up. How is it different from the Adaptive Curve that's already sure. available? Sure. So if you think about an Adaptive Curve, if you're somebody that's run that before, or had a chance to ride along with a dealer in a demo, anything along those lines, you know that adaptive curves are really good um, and extremely useful, but they really 
work well when you're just going one pass to the right, one pass to the left. They're only capable of going that one pass out. And they're using exactly where your machine is to predict where that next pass should be. So if you think about driving around a wet spot, it's going to adapt that second pass over to compensate for that curve and make sure that you're covering as much of your field as you possibly can. That works really well when your planter and your combine, for example, are the same width. But if you have different widths, all of a sudden those adaptive curve lines no longer work so well. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. So you need a, a, a different map. I guess that blueprint makes a big difference. It, the blueprint does make a big difference. And one of the unique things about AutoPath is that it does work with implements of different widths. So if I come in and I've got a 24 row planner, but I have still got a 16 row corn head, that's okay because AutoPath knows exactly where my crop row is. So it's not specifically worried so much about the implement width as it is about where my crop is. That's does that make sense? It, it does make sense. Yeah. But, but to get that blueprint, let's back up a second. Um, that's on the planter pass, right? This is where everything starts. Sure. It could be started with your planter pass or if you're running a strip till rig and you have an implement receiver on your planter or your strip till rig, that's what we would consider your source data or that first pass for that production cycle of that year. And so we're gathering every bit of information that we can around where that row is specifically so we're not again worried so much about the implement width but where my crop is in that field right and you are using a second receiver on the implement i mean absolutely that's yes yep so we had an interesting question down in the weeds question i think is pretty good I, if i have a second receiver do i need a second subscription or can i just use the shared signal does that work with this or do i really need two subscriptions that is a fantastic question and i'm glad that that was asked um we can use shared signal so that is great news so if you have sf3 so autopath does require the use of sf3 or an rtk signal but if you have that on your machine your vehicle receiver we can share signal back to that implement receiver without a secondary subscription so if you have rtk on the tractor you've also got rtk with shared signal back on the implement well that's nice because Sometimes managing subscriptions can be its own challenge. That's so, true. <clears throat> every pass makes a difference with a piece of equipment. And now you're saying, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is what is it? The 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 row of shame or whatever I think <laughs> your predecessor called it is the uh, and you know John Mishler was in this role before you and that's who we talked to. But but from your standpoint, how do I make this clear to people that this is really different than well I've been using RTK since '09 and we've been doing the same thing. Well, I think one of the big ways that it's different than RTK lines is that with RTK, you have to manage your lines by machine. So you have your whole set of lines and anytime one of the machines changes in your fleet, you've got to update those lines. That is not a factor when you're working with AutoPath. As long as you've captured good source data, again, in that strip till pass or with your planter, those lines are there and they're going to work with whatever machine width you pull into that field that second time. One of the issues that came up when we were discussing this uh, before was right after the derecho in Iowa. And and I think that's one of the things that we wonder about is change happens during the season. How does that how does AutoPath deal with change? Change with AutoPath is minimized drastically. Okay. So if you think about the derecho and I am very close to where that hit, very, very close. So we had um, a lot of damage even at our home because we were, we were basically in the path of derecho. So we're overly familiar with what that did. And that's a great example, Willie, of how AutoPath can take change out of the equation. 
So if you think about the situation that was kind of across a huge portion of Iowa and into Illinois, we had corn that was essentially flat on the ground. And we were very lucky slash unlucky to have a test cooperator that was impacted substantially by that storm. And neighbors all around my home, as well as this farmer, were disking their corn under because the change was so substantial. You could not tell even which way the rows were planted if you didn't have a guidance line. Any guidance line would have given you some orientation, right? But you could not tell. And the corn was laid down over multiple rows. And it was a, a mess. It was an absolute mess and a mat of corn. But with Autopath, that change did not matter because the combine knew exactly where that row was, where that Mm. crop was. And this is um, available for folks to go and take a look at if they're curious to see it. They can go out to the John Deere YouTube channel and see a little bit of footage of this. But that test cooperator um, wasn't even sure if he wanted to attack that field or not, or if he would just disc it under like so many others were forced to do. But because of Autopath, he was able to give that a shot and go into the field. And he was actually able to harvest that corn, despite it being, you know, I think it was something like 10 inches off the ground and a mat. But he was able to salvage that corn. That alone probably paid for the system for him. I mean, if if he had done that. One of the, the other areas that we look at is that other people claim that they're dealing with implement width. Or people say they've used systems that automatically compensate for implement width. And we talk about... 24-row planter and a 16-row combine. I mean, those kinds of things and curves get to be really complicated. Autopath solves all that versus other ways that have been done in the past? Because we know exactly where that crop row is, we know where we want our tires to be. And this is a little bit different than, let's say, I mean, maybe an analogy would be planting with a marker. Did a marker work the same as running with Autotrack? Yes. Is it as clean and as repeatable as running with a guidance system auto track for example no it's not so this is kind of like that step function change in mapping out your guidance lines and knowing exactly where that crop row is that's different than knowing where your guidance lines are and that's one of the advantages that we have with autopath is knowing where our crop is so we can manage where our machines go despite various widths when you bring this up, this is a level of precision we're not, we've not really talked about. Essentially, that system knows every row and almost where every seed is. It's, let's not get too weird, but I mean, that kind of thing. So it we knows can where really, the row is, yes. It does know where the <laughs> row is. Let's, let's go that far, yeah. But I mean, we can really get to it. So I think that this is something that I think this spring farmers, if their neighbors are doing auto, auto path, they should check it out or get yes. with their dealer and maybe Absolutely. take a ride with it and see how it's working. Because the other thing is when you see that blueprint, it, you can see it on the Gen 4 display, right? You can yes. see the, what auto path has done. Yes. And I mean, there's a really good example that we have where we had a field that was about 630 acres. And it's irregular, it's hilly, it's got terraces all over the place. And if you think about mapping that, think about a traditional guidance system or what you're doing today with RTK, and think about mapping an irregular hilly field, that takes a lot of time. Autopath was able to take that planter source data and it mapped 1,475 lines in that field in less than 90 seconds. And so that's great. If you're the folks, the person that went out and planted that, you may be familiar with that field. But if you have somebody else in your family or your operation that's going to come back later and either spray that field or harvest it, and they don't know the nuances of those terraces and where things are, 
having a blueprint for them to go and follow takes them from being inexperienced and probably uncomfortable to having a degree of comfort that hasn't been previously available. Well, that makes sense too. I mean, uh, farmers are sometimes taking on more land and mm-hmm. uh, usually the uh, roles are uh, divided. You know, one person does planting, one person does spraying, one person does harvest. And a lot of times mm-hmm. that's how the roles. So now it gets easier if I've got a new piece of ground, we all know how to work it because yes. Jimmy, yeah, I mean, Jimmy planted it perfect and now we can just follow along, right? And I don't have to wonder where Jimmy put the guest row. <laughs> And I don't have to worry about my row of shame. I, yeah. I've been there. I've left a row of shame in the field. I'd like to never repeat that ever again. So, um, you know, for anybody that's coming in and harvesting something that they didn't plant, it's nice to not be worried about counting rows and trying to identify exactly where to start that field. Because with AutoPath, you have many places that you can start without leaving that row of shame out there. Well, that's true, too. You don't have to just enter the same place you started it on the other path. Right, right. Cool. Well, Tracy Ullman with uh, John Deere, we appreciate your time today on Around Farm Progress. It's great to dig in on a piece of software or a new technology. I joke with my wife recently that I've written more about software than iron and more uh, interested in off- updates to my software than updates to my tractor, which is a little strange. But in this case, this is a significant step up, isn't it? It's exciting. It is exciting to see where things are headed in the evolution that AutoTrack has taken. And we'll look forward to what the next steps bring too. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Willie. Thanks to Tracy Ullman for helping us dig a little deeper into the new AutoPath system and even how it can help at harvest. Thanks also to Tyler Harris for his insights on what may be a very challenging year for the farmers in the path of the derecho. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team and experts in our industry. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress virtual experience. If you didn't tune into the premiere of the Farm Progress virtual experience, no problem. You can still visit the site to see everything. Just visit farmprogressshow.com for a direct connection to the virtual event. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.